You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We are 24 days away from the start of the college football season. Matt Schick, Chris Doring, Tom Luganville along for the ride here for the next 30 minutes here on College Football Live or as what we've been recently calling it, uh, Conference Realignment Live. We will have the latest on the Big Ten <laughs> and a live report from Florida State where the school president today made a not-so-veiled threat for the school to leave the ACC. That is coming up. But we thought with fall camps opening up this week that we would do something very odd here on College Football Live, and that is talk college football and the men who play it. Let's start with Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, including the expectations on the program and on second-year starter Quinn Ewers, the former number two overall prospect coming out of high school, hopes to deliver the team its first conference crown in 14 years. His head coach senses something special. And you see the the dedication the guys put in to his overall body composition. You know, he he really has bought into his diet. He's bought into the workouts. I think clearly, you know, he's in a great frame of mind of, you know, th this feels like his team. Um, I think he he leads that way. You can hear how he talks to the team that way. Uh, and then naturally, the overall understanding of the scheme and the system to where going into year two, the nuances of what we're doing make more sense to him. A lot of those kind of little things that sometimes don't look glaring, but over time you have four, five, six plays in a game where where's my check down, or I can't move quite quick enough to escape that. You know, they add up to those negative plays, and now you end up playing behind the chains where hopefully we, you know, we really minimize those negative plays and, and we stay ahead of schedule because – when he's ahead of schedule and he knows where to go with the ball, um, he's a really fantastic player. Sark named Ewers the starter after spring practice, uh, putting the Arch Manning era on hold. And when he when he plays fast ahead of schedule, he's been elite. When he released the football in fewer than two and a half seconds last season, seven touchdowns without a pick. Nearly 2,200 yards last year, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions, did miss three games with an injury. Chris Doring, start with you. What are your expectations for year two with Quinn Ewers under Sark? Oh, I am huge on Quinn Ewers, and I think the thing that we haven't talked about yet is the leadership aspect. I mean, when this guy's in the ball game, he elevates the play of those around him. Certainly, if they have him in, in uh, last year against Alabama at the end of the game, they probably win that game. They probably win the Texas Tech game. So, I, I think just having him out there is a big factor, and, and then not to mention what uh, Sark mentioned in terms of the language. Getting a year under your belt, understanding the verbiage, understanding the reads, understanding where you're going with the football makes you make those decisions better and just play fluently instead of having to think too much. You know, Chris, I, just reading between the lines and listening to Sark, I think essentially what he was saying was last year that Quinn Ewers didn't really know how to be a pro. For all of his God-given talent, it was the other stuff, taking care of your body, uh, how you approach the game, being the first person in the building, the last person out. How you, 
how you look at the weight room, um, how you lead your teammates, how you talk to your teammates. Um, something as simple as deciding to change his image and cut his hair. Maybe get down to business a little bit. Have a little bit of a different perception uh, in terms of how he's perceived outwardly. And I, I think that's really, really important. And the other thing too, and, and Sark kind of hit on it there in his comments, we fail to realize that this was a player that left high school early. And prior to starting for Texas last year, he had not played football for two years. He did not attempt to pass at Ohio State. And, and, and then he missed, of course, his, his senior year in high school. So let's understand that as talented as he is, there's still a lot to learn and a lot to grow into. Luke's it's also a guy that walked into Texas, uh, was going to go to Texas, then goes to Ohio State and walks into an NIL deal right away. Didn't meet a, a ton of adversity until he didn't get the starting job and realized I'm not going to start uh, as long as C.J. Stroud is here. What does that tell you right now about a young athlete like him and dealing with adversity? Well, I think he realized and saw the writing on the wall that this isn't high school, right? Uh, it's, it's an upper tier level of competition and you're going to have to compete and it wasn't going to be easy and maybe didn't quite recognize how loaded that Ohio State quarterback room was when he got there. And quite honestly, I mean, this is also, I think, another lesson that it can't be all about name, image, and likeness. You know, it needs to be about more substance uh, when it comes to making that decision, leaving high school and attending college. And it looks like he's found the right home uh, by going to Texas. And maybe that was the place he should have been all along. All right, let's uh, move from Texas to the school that he did transfer from, the Buckeyes. They saw their two-time Heisman finalist get drafted second overall, C.J. Stroud, becoming the third consecutive primary Buckeye QB to become a first-round pick. The Buckeyes have had a signal caller finish top five nationally in total QBR each of the past five seasons. As for who's next in Columbus, Ryan Day says they could need them all. You think about the year that the national championship was won here, it took all three guys. So the message to that room is going to be that we need to be the best quarterback room in the country. And whoever the whoever's playing on the field, the other three guys need to support him, and they need to keep pushing each other to be the best room. And right now, that's the focus. We pushed each other in the spring, which was good. I think you know he, he brought the best out of me. I brought the best out of him. And I think it's been a really healthy competition. Uh, with each other um, and so you know when you go out there in the field I think you know you're just focused on one thing and it's doing your job to you know the best of your abilities. You know I'm just trying to go out there and help this team win you know whoever it is we're just trying to be the best versions of ourselves every day and we're not worried about you know at the end of a practice we're not gonna be like oh he did better than me this day or that it's how did I perform you know what did I get better today what was I really working at today to get better and if I get myself better every day that's gonna be a really good you know few months that I build up. Chris Doring, how would you assess this quarterback competition and what it means for the Ohio State offense this season? You know, Matt, I think the interesting thing is how similar what's going on in Columbus is to what's happening in Tuscaloosa. I mean, both of these schools have had a progression of quarterbacks. We saw what uh, Ohio State's have the luxury of going from Dwayne Haskins uh, into what they, they went on uh, ultimately to C.J. Stroud. Justin Fields in the mix there before. Uh, the same was true at, at Alabama, where you went from Jalen to Tua to Mac to, to Bryce, and, and now both are in a little bit of upheaval. But the funny thing about it is, both of those schools have better odds, according to FPI, to win the national championship than what does the two-time defending national champion. So it more speaks to the talent that's around the quarterback position. Obviously, I think in both of these instances, we could see this quarterback battle going into the season. Ohio State's schedule for the first month of the year is very manageable. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this 
kind of have to take shape once the lights come on and you see who is able to play the best and raise the elevation of the other 10 in the huddle? Yeah, you know, Chris, you touched on it. It's about the personnel around the quarterback, right? I mean, the, the, whoever's the quarterback at Ohio State may arguably have the best wide receiving core in college football, uh, could potentially have a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back. You're going to have the, the, the healthiest and probably strongest defense that, that Ryan Day's had there in his tenure. So you know what? Just don't screw it up. You know, play within yourself. They're all talented. I thought Devin Brown, you know, when, when he referenced we're not trying to compare, you're right, don't compare. Compete. And then let the rest of the chips fall where they may. But you don't have to walk into a huddle wearing a cape at Ohio State if you're playing quarterback. Study the offense. Know where to go with the ball. Get the ball out of your hand. Let all of those playmakers do the work for you. Also going to be interesting to see not only who's under center, but who's in his ear, who's calling the plays. Brian Hartline promoted to OC, but listening in between the lines there with Ryan Day at Big Ten Media Days doesn't sound like a guy who's ready to <laughs> hand over the keys to the car fully uh, to an offensive coordinator. We shall see as the season gets underway. Coming up next, they got a pretty good quarterback in Tallahassee leading the high hopes in the ACC. But is the ACC going to be Florida State's home for the foreseeable future? A live report from Tallahassee coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oh, you always have to be ready for realignment. How about a history lesson with the Big Ten? Formerly known as the Western Conference has been known as the Big Ten for 70 years. While the name hasn't changed since, the numbers have. It's been slow to expand, though. It took 40 years to go from 10 to 11 teams, then nearly 20 years to expand to 12. Now at 14, one year from today, they go to 16 when USC and UCLA officially join the league. The Big Ten may not be done. Pete Thamel, college football insider ESPN, joins us now. Pete, what is the latest with potential Big Ten expansion? Well, as if the landscape wasn't uh, active enough, Matt, uh, Yahoo Sports broke a story this afternoon about exploratory discussions uh, about expansion within the Big Ten uh, within the Big Ten offices, meaning they've They've gathered a group of presidents to, to speak to this. Uh, in talking to sources this afternoon, those logical expansion options would be Oregon and Washington. Uh, the Big Ten had been engaged with Oregon and Washington after its expansion of USC and UCLA. That didn't work out. This time around, however, 
the Ducks and the Huskies are in a vulnerable position and they could likely come for a discount. I was told today that Oregon and Washington would ultimately represent about 13 football games that would get spread over the league's current four partners. So it's not like a whole new network would have to come in. Somebody would have to step up within the partners, but there, there's, there's a logical landing spot, and it's a matter of what price Oregon and Washington would come in for. I think it's a lot more attractive to the Big Ten now to get them at a discount. Meanwhile, Pete, the Pac-12 and George Klyovkov, the league commissioner, presented some sort of streaming, 100% streaming option with Apple. Um, I'm not sure how the league, how those programs responded to that, Pete, but what's the time frame here? Do they have to take a vote there and then the Big Ten might act? What, what are we looking at here? Well, Matt, it's an interesting climate because, uh, you know, part of the Big Ten's hesitancy on Oregon and Washington last time around, they also looked at Cal and Stanford, was they didn't want to be the ones to, to, to kill the Pac-12. There, there's obviously a, a weird undercurrent of collegiality in college sports, despite the fact that it's a cold-blooded billion-dollar business. This time around, I, I got a lot of that sense Sunday, Monday. Well, Arizona doesn't want to be the one that leaves because they don't want to kill the league. Uh, they'd want Arizona State and Utah to come with them, etc. But as this week has unfolded and as uncertainty has come with the Pac-12 presenting that Apple deal, I'm getting less and less of a sense that that's the tenor of the landscape. So the order that things could unfold is uncertain, but the Pac-12 is in a very fragile position right now. And the fact that the Big Ten is formally snooping around really underscores the fragility of the entire landscape. Uh, college sports could look very different by the time foot hits ball in September. Yeah, foot hits ball, toe meets leather, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. It's the metaphor. It's apropos, and it's coming very soon. The, the Big Ten did release a statement today, and thank you, Pete. The Big Ten conference is still focused on integration of USC and UCLA, but it's also the commissioner's job to keep conference chancellors and presidents informed about new developments as they occur. Speaking of presidents, this past spring, Florida State was one of seven ACC schools that looked into the conference's grant of rights amid concerns of the ACC's projected financials compared to other Power Five conferences. Today, there was a Board of Trustees meeting at Florida State where the school president, Rick McCullough, sounded the alarm with some amazing tweet, excuse me, amazing statements. Adam Rittenberg tweeted them out, but says, my current assessment of the situation is I believe Florida State will have to, at some point, consider very seriously leaving the ACC unless there were a radical change. Just so happens, ESPN's Andrea Adelson was at the meeting today, is on campus at Florida State. Andrea, what more can you tell us about the tenor of that meeting and what's going on at FSU? Yeah, I had a chance to sit down with President McCullough and Athletic Director Michael Alford today to discuss what is Florida State going to do? Because when you start looking at this gap, and that's all they've been talking about for months and months, this revenue gap that is going to grow once the Big Ten and the SEC get their television deal, $30 million per year, right? So it's not just $30 million every year. It's $30 million in the first year, $60 million, $90 million, $120 million. They use words like insurmountable. And Florida State wants to be competitive, not just in football, but in all sports. So if the ACC can't figure out a way to be competitive when it comes to trying to close that revenue gap, 
then yeah, they're going to have to look at their options. They've been studying this for a year. And I'm talking about every option on the table, looking at the grant of rights, looking at what possibilities exist for Florida State, because they do not want to have to deal with this $30 million revenue gap per year moving forward. And in comments to me, the president said, I'm not optimistic that we can stay. Could we stay? Yeah, we could, but something radically would have to change in the ACC's revenue distribution model. ACC's working really hard to close that gap, but as of right now, there are no answers from the ACC's perspective. Andrea, how feasible is this? I mean, the exit fees around more than $100 million if they want to leave. They got the grant of rights, which is, as you said, 30, 30 million a year, essentially. Multiply that times the 12 years that are left on the grant of rights agreement. You're talking about $400, $500 million? Like, what, how feasible is this for FSU? Well, the grant of rights would also keep the media rights with the ACC, which means their home games right. would not be on television for any sport, which is why they'd have to go to court and challenge the grant of rights. Nobody has ever done that before, but there's a reason that schools, not just Florida State, but other schools in the ACC, have spent a lot of time looking at the grant of rights. What does that legal, legal language say? What are their lawyers telling them in terms of what a strategy could potentially be to go ahead and challenge that? Because you're right, there is a media agreement in place right now for the ACC through 20. 36. That is a long time out. The SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 are all going to be able to renegotiate their television contracts before then. So in terms of feasibility, it would take a lot for Florida State to exit, not only financially, but from a legal perspective. But based on everything that was said today at that Board of Trustees meeting, including from trustees, they're ready and willing for Florida State to take some of the risks that go along with that. How about this? Board of Trustee member Justin Roth, quote, staying in this conference for the next 13 years and trying to wait for that perfect alignment of stars is the equivalent of death by a thousand cuts. Essentially saying as well that they need to figure it out here in the next 12 months. So, Andrea, what's the next step here? Less than 30 seconds. What do we got? Well, Board of Trustees is going to convene in another month, and their chair essentially told the trustees, stay tuned. We'll have more for you on this. But very clearly, Florida State has to come up with a strategy if they do indeed feel it's in their best interest to exit the ACC. Amazing. Uh, just we'll, we'll see. Again, these grant of rights, these contracts, certainly made to be broken. Could be a price to pay, though. Andrea Adelson on Florida State's campus today. Impeccable timing with the Board of Trustees uh, meeting today. All right, let's bring back in uh, Chris Doring and Tom Luganbill. You were there for all of that, Lugs. What do you make of this? Well, I, I keep looking to the bottom of the screen and seeing that lower third quote panel there with Rick McCullough referencing how hard it's going to be to compete in football. And that's bad news because if you feel strongly that that's going to happen, then the rest of your sports are going to suffer because institutionally, the revenue is not going to be able to be there to survive if football suffers because they can't compete due to incoming revenue. And so I, I don't know what the answer is here. It seems fairly clear what, you know, Florida State wants to do, what they're looking to do. And I, I get, you know, the average payout for, per team in the ACC is just under $40 million. Well, it's $75 million in, in the Big Ten. I, so I get it. I see where they're coming from. And we're just in this constant state of musical chairs and everybody's trying to, you know, find a chair before the music stops. And that chair is being in a, a, a conference, Chris, 
that you know is going to be viable and survive long term. Yeah, let's not forget about Florida State's situation. Just a couple years ago, we're operating at a reported $26 million deficit, had to cut their budget significantly, yep. had a huge buyout they had to pay Willie Taggart, even went out to their boosters to ask for more money to be able to help their, their economic situation. So it's already something that's been affecting them now. And as the bigger contracts with the, the Big Ten and the SEC uh, take hold, it's just going to create a further issue for them, like you said, if they want to compete not only in football but all the sports. It's like you, you sign a grant of rights, you sign that long-term deal. It's like an athlete. I want to renegotiate. I want to redo this thing. Well, we'll see if they have to uh, <laughs> lie in the bed that they made. We shall see. Thank you, guys. Great perspective there and good reporting yeah. from Andrea in Tallahassee. Coming up next on College Football Live, Florida State opens up the season against LSU one month from tomorrow. Up next, the Knowles will be able to keep tabs on any LSU injuries during game week. Should other college football teams follow suit? Saturday, we'll once again have the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony for you on ESPN. Coverage begins noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Iowa State quarterback Hunter Deckers and three other current and former Cyclone athletes are scheduled to appear in court on August 16th on sports betting allegations. Criminal complaint alleges that more than hundreds and hundreds of bets were placed on a DraftKings Sportsbook account linked to Deckers. He's also charged with tampering with records related to an ongoing investigation by the Iowa Criminal Division. Those who wager on LSU football games will now be able to place more well-informed bets. Uh, LSU coach Brian Kelly announced a move to an injury reporting system that is much more in line with what happens in the professional ranks. The school will report the status of injured players twice during the week, Mondays and Thursdays, as well as on Saturdays ahead of the game. Tom Luganbill, is that something that you would like to see more of in college football? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see it if it was mandated by each conference and, and each team had to participate. Volunteering, you know, volunteering that information is a little startling to me. But here's the thing, if you're Brian Kelly and you're, and you're LSU, as long as you don't list somebody as out and that player plays, they can list anybody as probable, anybody as questionable, just don't list out. So as we watch this unfold this, this year, Unless we know somebody had a season-ending injury, I'm going to be really interested to see how many people are listed as out during that uh, report each and every week. Luke, the, the question is why? Like, why in the world would you want to do something yeah. that's going to take away a competitive edge? I mean, coaches are such conspiracy yeah. theorists, want to keep everything close to the vest. I don't see the motivation for doing this unless it has something to do with that partnership that was in play with Caesars and they ultimately got nixed, but they could lead the way to having a little bit more transparency for some of these things that they have a little more of a relationship with some of the sports betting outlets as opposed to a lot of the other schools within the, uh, the college football ranks. Chris, yeah, quickly, you think schools and coaches are going to be really upfront about this stuff, or do you think they're going no. to use it as a strategy? But, but, no. How long is it going to take? How long is it going to take them to figure out that they're lying yeah. in this thing? So just don't say anything at all. doesn't make sense. That's it. Chris, just list everybody as questionable. Everybody. Exactly. <laughs> everybody, no matter what. The coaching staff, too. Uh, we're listed as day-to-day. Yeah. -day. We're back on Thursday, <laughs> 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2.